All right, soccer freaks. This is ATL on Fire, the podcast. We're going to be talking all things Atlanta United Football Club. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. All right, everybody, welcome back. It is ATL on fire for real today, Dave. For real. It's finally chilly enough, and I found some firewood from a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who might that be? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> my, my wood uh, guy stood me up the other day. Oh. Yeah. Never want to be left at the uh, like fireplace without the wood. Um, but not only <laughs> do we have an awesome fire cranking for the podcast this evening, we... As Atlanta United made the playoffs, cheers, and we are cheersing um, a special occasion as well here on the uh, the podcast. All the talk um, about uh, you and Enrique um, doing your first wine from a local grape um, in the region, a Norton grape, is that right? Correct, yeah, so um, we have, uh, our friend Enrique lives in Smyrna, and um, as we've briefly chatted about on previous podcasts, um, when he moved into the house in this little subdivision, he has this really giant backyard, but it's exceedingly steep. And he was like, what in the world I'm going to do with that? To which I replied, vineyard. Well, <laughs> the podcast listeners didn't get to hear our, um, our banter after the podcast we did the other night on Wednesday um, after, the, uh, after the Cincinnati game. Um, or no, that wasn't the Cincinnati. That was the uh, uh, Toronto game, right? Yep, Toronto. Um, after the Toronto game, Dave and I were sitting around and talking about his wine, and I've yet to taste it until this evening, but <laughs> I didn't think he was... Uh, I, I underestimated these guys. Let's just put it that way. I didn't think that they were capable of, on a first go, from a southeast region grape, red grape, um, to make a wine that, A, was drinkable but be on the spectrum of good. <laughs> Did you just say good this in, is, in reference to our wine? This, is, this is a good wine and uh, <laughs> I, I would have this as a table wine anytime. So uh, well done. Thank you. So yeah. how, how did you pull this off? Yeah, so so he's got this really steep backyard, and we, we did some research, and, and basically, you know, you can grow grapes in this country um, down from Virginia to about northern Georgia and really not any further. You need to go any further south than that. You need to be a little bit at altitude, which he is. He's sort of on this little hill in Smyrna, and... Um, it's way too wet is the main problem. So way too wet means that you get, you know, all kinds of nasty things that diseases, kill your vines. Yeah. yeah, diseases, right? Um, so, but being on a huge slope means the water just runs right through and it, it, it ends up, the soil is extremely dry. So I said, you know, he's got a ton of sun. Um, it's facing the right direction. It's sort of southerly facing, um, sort of southeast, if you will. And, um, you know, we did our homework and, you know, so many people in northern Georgia are growing, you know, classic French grapes, Cabernet and whatnot, um, you know, which aren't so great for here. They're very hard. But I understand why they're doing it, because nobody goes into the grocery store thinking, I'm going to buy myself a Norton wine. 
Um, but so Norton has an amazing history, right? The, the literally the starting with the forefathers, you know, Washington and Jefferson were trying to make wine in this country, um, and they assumed that they would find an American grape that could make a delicious wine, and they failed and failed and failed. And then, um, you know, fast forward a, a while, there's this guy, um, Doctor Norton, and um, you know he succeed he found a native grape in virginia um that makes a delicious wine um it actually spread quite rapidly to missouri that's where it was mostly grown but then prohibition wiped it out completely yeah. by the time prohibition ended um california was finally starting to to go and and eventually of course California succeeded in using French, you know, varietals, right. um, Cabernet and whatnot, Merlot, and um, very successfully. Yeah. Um, Mondavi was right, the uh, pioneer there in California, right? Right, and so Norton was history. Um, but, you know, Norton, during an early time, some of the Norton wines that were made in Missouri actually won s some medals in Europe as mm. being really terrific wines. It is an American grape that makes a terrific red. It's a little bit... Um, almost like a Zinfandel. Yeah. Um, and the key to it is because it's a Native American grape, it's resistant to everything. So um, <laughs> you can actually grow it successfully. But I feel like this is, I mean, it's very much like a cab. I mean, it definitely has some different flavors, um, but it's kind of in that kind of just drinking wine category of um, just can stand on its own. Well, great. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we, we had, you know, you, you say that we um, we had modest expectations to make up. I am not kidding. Like, I, I would have been harsh on you. I really would have been. <laughs> I'm not blowing smoke. It's well, really, I'm glad. Really, really solid. Um, so thank you for bringing this. And uh, this is our first vintage, second vintage is on the way. And, you know, really, you're not supposed to really make grapes from the first couple of vintages, you know, first yeah. couple of harvests of your grapes. For so we should be going upwards from here. I hope that we will make the MLS Cup playoffs, but I have some I have some reasonable concern that we won't this season, but I have a lot of expectations. You mean the MLS Cup final? The MLS Cup final, yep. yeah. Yep. So hopefully, you know, we'll crack one of these open, uh, maybe heading towards uh, the, uh, the Mercedes-Benz for a final. If we can do that this year and open another one of these, I'm all about that too, but... But if we were to get to a final, it wouldn't be at the Benz, right? I mean, you would I have to have not. a better record than whoever was coming through on the other side, which could be, but it would have to be a big upset on yeah, the other be a, side. It would be a bit of a fluke, right, on the yeah. in the finals. You're right. So that's, uh, that's, I guess, where we can start things off, Dave, is, um, you know, the fact that we got the job done going to Cincinnati. Um, we did our part on what we were supposed to do in that game with the win, um, but knowing that we played for the tie against Toronto and now we find ourselves in the situation where uh, we don't have any home playoff games. What, what is your overall feeling about a, the excitement of we're in the playoffs, but also that, you know, we're not uh, at the Mercedes Benz for any of the playoff games. Yeah. I mean, disappointment, um, you know, uh, you know, this glass half full glass, half empty kind of, kind of an argument and that you know if you half, look half empty yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at where we were when we were fired Heinz uh you know you had to say that we were in deep 
trouble. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about it. I said that it was recoverable. Um, I think you were a little more pessimistic than I was that it was recoverable. Yeah, I was. Um, we, <laughs> we had to go through the numbers a little bit. Um, you know, so getting in the playoffs from there, you'd have to say, you know, fantastic. Well, job well done. Um, and you look at our point total, I think it was second best in the East over the time period since Pineda took over. So that makes us legit contenders. That being said, um, you know, are we fully, you know, doing as well as our talent, you know, would allow? I think you and I are definitely not yet convinced. And, and, um, even if you say all of that, you know, going into the last, you know, week or two of the season, um, any one of those points that we dropped in a really silly fashion would have done it. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, I applaud Pineda for coming in, stabilizing the ship and carrying on the positive culture that Rob Valentino did through the interim process. But again, as we've said, we don't see, uh, I don't see that the way that the team is structured and, the way we're playing kind of as a team, I think there's a lot of really good individual skill out there that is allowing us to even come back in the game that we saw, uh, you know, the, the other night. There was some skill on display, Mikey Dobbs. There was some skill. Um, we'll get to but that. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, even the win- the winning goal is not something. So just to get to your rep, you know, and on our chances of having any playoff game at home, um, it would have to be Minnesota, Vancouver, or Real Salt Lake in fifth, sixth, or seventh getting through on the on the western side for us to host. Yeah. So not likely. So let me see if I can pull up Dave a. All right, an ATL on fire first. We discussed yeah. decision day. We might have even made some predictions, Mikey Dallas. Yeah, we were talking about the Cincinnati. Or sorry, the. Uh, the Philadelphia NYFC game, and you were asking me who you thought would win that game. So let's just do a quick rewind to uh, last Wednesday. Well, you know, let's end by previewing going forward. We got Cincinnati on decision day. So, um, okay, so first of all, what's your prediction for – us against Cincinnati, the worst team in the league on the road. More, get it done? The, the only thing that I can picture is more of the same. Mm. Like, I, I am so opt- – I've gone into so many of these games, the last five games, being optimistic. Like, there was one game that I thought we were – I think it was the NYFC game. I was like, we, we're going to torch them. Yeah, Just and like the I, Toronto too, for sure. I, I was like, I had this feeling. I was like, we're going to torch them. And at some point, you just have to say, "Well, we've been close to clicking. Like there have been moments where it's been free flowing, and it looks like we're going to score three, four, yeah. five goals." You know what they call that? It's only close. Only matters with what horseshoes and hand grenades, right? So, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. So that was me talking about the sorry the the, the upcoming Cincinnati game, which we just played last night, right? Um, and then uh, you know, I I think uh, yeah, it was. For the most part, I, I do feel like that was correct. There's a little the more of the, sa- more of the same. Um, we did correct. We'll get to this later on the podcast on how we corrected at well, halftime. Yeah, well, um, you know, if you play it a little bit further, you'll see my counterpoint. Oh, okay. Let's let's keep playing it then. Sorry. <laughs> What's your, oh, we're going to jump into your counter counterpoint here. All right. I feel like that's we're playing that game right All now. All right, we're, so what's your prediction? I, I think... My prediction failed to get it done. I honestly think it's going to be a tie game. Yeah, I think it's going to be a draw. Wow, um, a draw would be pretty disappointing, right? Like I, I am expecting disappointment at this point. 
I mean, Cincinnati's in last place. They have absolutely nothing to play for. They don't even have a full-time coach, I don't think. Yeah. Um, so it's not even like they're playing for their coach's future. So, so what I hope is that I am wrong, right? But if I am wrong, you know what I would expect is that we trounce them, right? Yeah. So my gut says we're going to tie. What I want to happen is we should beat them 5 nothing. All right. Well, that didn't happen. Uh, we we came very. And then I say very close to the prediction of a tie. Sorry, did I cut off your counterpoint? Yeah, there? I say I think you're gonna get it done right in the end. Play it. All right, let's Come play. Come on, All let's right. cover the it's whole not, thing. It's not true. It's not true. Okay. Here we go. Come on. Here we go. Yeah, and I don't think we. I don't think that Pineda and the confidence of the team and the tactics are good enough where we can roll over them. I do think even despite all of that, we win, you know, maybe two to one or there something. There you go, Dave. <laughs> uh, Ladies and gentlemen. Validation. All right. So uh, now do you, do you want to be right twice? Because we had another clip. We don't need to be. I think that that's right. enough. You know, the, the, the take home, just if you want to go back and listen, was that uh, Mikey Dodd says uh, Philadelphia is going to do it. And uh, I said, I think uh, I think I see a draw. Yeah, well, you you were right. And not <laughs> only did they pull off a draw, they did it uh, a man down, right? Yeah, remarkable. They, they lose a man in like or, the first NYFC 10, 10, got the draw with a man down. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, it goes to say what I said previously, which is they had everything to play for and they were going to find a way. Even a man down, they were attacking, attacking, attacking and did it eventually yeah. get it done. So do you want to break down the first half for me um, on the sheet here? I think we were at five in, five in the back formation. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so you want to tell us the formation? Sure. So we had roughly a 5-2-3 to start the Cincinnati game with Guzan and goal. Hernandez, Miles, Franco, Walks, and Bello across the back. Um, I'd say we had Joseto and Ibarra in the middle. Um, and Araujo, Martinez, and Barco up forward. Right. So, you know, in love with the three at the back. The one thing I will say is we've been calling for... Ronald Hernandez to um, yeah, you know, nice to get a chance. Nice what did you think of him? Uh, again, I don't know why he's not uh, in there more often. It's particularly when we get to it with four in the back and walks off the field. That's my preferred uh, starting lineup. Ronald Hernandez was better defensively and offensively than Lennon. In my opinion, Lennon may never start again. I, you know, I... <laughs> I have no hate towards Lennon, but I, yeah. I 100% agree that Hernandez is the better choice. Yeah. Wait. I don't understand why you wouldn't even have gotten any chance before now. But and, and to be honest, if you're going to do more of like the, the wing back, um, you know, Jurgen Dom, who you're paying $1.5 million, I think when you saw him came on, he did exactly what we've been talking about. He gets to the end line and puts good crosses in. Correct. Um, you know, I mean, that's ultimately how we got the goal from Joseph Martinez, too. We'll, we'll get there. Ahead of myself. So then, um, you know, we did not have any subs in the, the first half. We certainly were under pressure the beginning part of that game. Um, Big time. You know, there were some real shots and goal that could have gone in. Guzan was making some nice saves. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so, you know, there were 
the chances we had were kind of sporadic and not or not too organized um, in in the first half. Um, yeah, our expected goals in the first half was like something like point two four or right. something. Like it was Barco had a really good. really nice free kick again on goal, but easily yeah, saved. didn't really trouble saved, the goalkeeper yeah, too much. It didn't trouble him, but not a great first half. Yeah, and you know we've been talking about the you know so. Okay, you can argue that, all right, you played five in the back on the road, right? And you could argue, okay, well, the point is that is not really to, to have so many, you know, goal-scoring chances, but is to be really tight in the back. And yet, A, they were just passing left and right across the box. The number of – the amount of possession that they had just outside our penalty area where no one was able to close it down and gain possession was pitiful. And that's how the goal came. It was one side to the other side. They had possession for for quite a while. And then on top of it, as we've talked about time and time and again, when you play three in the back, there's no one really responsible for it. And it was simply a matter of player dribbling across the front of the box, the top of the box, and nobody figuring out, is it me? Is it you? Is it you? You know, is it me? Who's going to yeah. step? And by the time they stepped, it's in the back of the net. Right. Everybody was kind of, you know, in, in a good position, but they were not in a position to be confident on stepping in just absolutely closing space. All three center backs and Josetu and Ibarra were all there. Yeah, they were and all yet there. Nobody could get a block on the shot. That's the problem. And so you say, okay, your body's back. You can't get past them. Sure. Maybe, but there's confusion and confusion leads to goals. I mean, we, we could have given up two or even three. There were a couple times, even in that half, particularly on crosses where again, you got three center backs all back. They're all going after the ball. All it takes is somebody to head it out, right? And yet, you know, three guys went after the ball. They head it, and if they don't get a good clearance, it goes right to one of their players. And sure enough, that's almost how we gave up goal number two, yeah. right? Barco comes back. He's the back of three. All three go for the ball. He heads it out weakly. It falls right to the Cincinnati player um, at the top of the box. And, I mean, he missed by inches. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, he had the goal sitting. In the first 20 minutes, there were three very strong opportunities that Cincinnati had. One went just wide of the far post on a very similar play that they ended up scoring on, right. um, you know. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That came from a cross that Barco, Walks, and uh, Franco all went for. They were playing 3v1, so they gave them no chance to get to the ball. You're like, good, great, that's what we're supposed to do. But because three guys went for the ball against one, when Barco headed out weekly, the guy who he was supposed to be covering, wide open. Yeah. It fell right to him, and we were lucky as heck. And I'm, you know, I was kind of surprised with the way, you know, Cincinnati did play with a little bit of spirit in that game, at least in the first half. Well, they had nothing to lose, so yeah. they came out and go after it. There was another play I wanted to talk about, which was a total nothing play, but um, we had a goal kick, and um, actually Guzan played it right first, I think, to Franco, and then Franco played it back across to Walks, right, who didn't really have much, so he plays it back to Guzan. Okay, so Guzan ends up on the ball, right? And walks, instead of going and giving Guzan an angle, he just stood there and watched him, okay? So that meant that the attacker knew that um, Guzan had no option going to one side. He had to go right. So Guzan turned right. It was almost closed down, and we almost gave up the ball. 
Yeah. Right? Because walks just had no concept of, okay, I got to provide an angle. Even if he doesn't play me, I've got to make it realistic where he has a chance so that the attacker knows, mm, I can't overplay on that one side. I mean, you, Mikey Dobbs, have done that. I've seen yeah. you do that a million times. Yeah, you you know which side he has to go, and you're like, going to cut it off. Yeah. Uh, yes. And, you know, the other person, and I think this happened in the second half, but Bello kind of ball watching in the box too is, mm-hmm. is an issue for him. He, he repeatedly did not keep his feet moving and make a decision on where he needed to be. Like Bella's got still a lot of room. Oh, I have him. a, yeah, I have a note about that. Um, 75th minute. Yes, that was around. That's when I observed it. I was Bello like, makes works so, so far back to make a key block. Right, he made an absolutely yeah. fantastic block. Okay, the ball pops straight up in the air, right, and he just stands there and switches off. Yeah, he's right. Like totally- he, I did my job. I blocked it. Now it's someone else's, and they almost played it right back to his guy, and he scored because he did nothing. It, yeah. The ball hadn't been cleared. It just went straight I, up. Because I remember it was straight up, and mm-hmm. I, I just remember watching him. And he like, just stood there. Just stood there. I didn't, I didn't understand it. And yeah. And I think that's instinct, right? You know, maybe you'll get it with age, but it's almost something you can't teach. The instinct is that the danger is still there. Yeah. And for some reason, you know, he's been, he's so naturally talented and he did such an amazing job to get back and make that block. I think he's so used to being like, mm, did my job and that's enough. And then, you know, most of the time that is enough because of where he's been playing at, at lower levels, yeah. you do that and you go up the field, right? But sometimes it's not enough in the MLS because the guy still got a really good, you know, swing at it. And instead of being cleared, it went straight up. Yeah. So anything else in the first half that, Sticks out to you? No, I mean, just... Yeah. Uh, um. so, so we're losing one nothing. Yeah. <laughs> at, at halftime. Um, not, not a lot of... Um, not a lot to be encouraged by at halftime. But yet again, Gonzalo Pineda makes the switch every time we've been down at halftime in this, in this situation. He goes 4-3-3. Right. Um, and, and goes with four in the back. So he... Subs out, I believe. Um, oh, he subs out walk and puts in Mulraney at half. Correct? How many times, you know, the great coaches, whoever you think that is, like, you know, who's your favorite coach? Klopp, Guardiola, whatever. Yeah. How often did they completely change the formation at halftime? Not a lot. I mean, not a lot. Um, and you might say, well, because they're never down, they're leading or whatever. But even if they go down, they still have an identity. They still know that that's a formation that they can get stuff out of. Yeah. We have this thing like, oh, um, you know, that formation is really not anything we can get out of. We'll change it. And the team is so good that when you change it, we suddenly do get something out of it. Right. I mean, the other time that it happened almost exactly the same way was on the road in USA qualifying with Burhalter, where he changed it at halftime yeah. and he went from five in the back to four in the back and suddenly... Boom! That was the game that we came back from one down right. one nothing. Uh, Honduras, it's Honduras, I think. Yeah, and then we just four to one steamrolled them yeah. in the second. And I half. sent you the clip of Burhalter's kind of uh, pep talk at halftime, talking about switching to the four in the back. Yeah. Um. And yeah, but it's 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 about the right formation given the talent you have sometimes. Which again, I've never been a big formation person, but the more we've talked about it with Atlanta United and just the way that. 
we say we want to play attacking style football. Well, Tata played the four in the back the majority of the time. And I think that is why we had, you know, more commitment from the Hernan what I would hope to be like Hernandez and Bello making bombing runs with also the equal commitment is they got to get their ass back to and be fullbacks. I think there are three things I have to say about it. Right. So one is no professional team that I know of is content to play one player on an island. Um, basically conceding, you're conceding the midfield. Yeah. Right. And yeah, you don't necessarily have to win the midfield. You can win games by counterattacking, sitting back, whatever, concede the midfield a little bit. But you can't be totally blown away in midfield game after game after game. And there is not a player in the world, I don't care who it is, who can play by themselves on an island in center midfield against most teams that are playing three in the midfield and win the battle. It's just impossible. So that's one point. Point number two is you have to know the strengths of your team. The teams that I've ever seen that played five in the back, it's a stopgap when you really don't have any talent enough to be able to stop people. When you have center backs who can't win one-on-one and they're always requiring 2v1, then you have to do it. There is no doubt that Miles Robinson and Franco can win one-on-one battles. Campbell can win one-on-one battles. Walks can even win one-on-one battles, right? So there is nothing about our center backs that says we need five at the back. So that's point number two. And point number three is that what you saw in the second half is that once you actually get to four and you move another player into the middle, so many times the ball turned over much further up the field and suddenly it's so much easier for us to get chances because Araujo, Barco, etc. only have to get by one guy and to create something. Yeah. So we start off with what you and I have been begging for the entire season, which is Hernandez is the back right. <laughs> We've got Miles uh, on the right center, Franco on the left center, and Bello left fullback. That's the back four we've been talking That's about. That's the back four we've been and talking about. And I have about. a note that says, hallelujah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, the, in the perfect scenario, the, the middle would be slightly different. We would have Hosetu, which was he was in there. Abaro is in there. Obviously, we would want Sosa. Yeah. Um, and and Mulraney, which I would prefer to see like a Jurgen Dom in some way or another in, in that mix. Um, and Lennon still on the bench. Then we had Barco as kind of like a, you know, he was in the top three, but kind of sitting back a little bit behind Araujo and Martinez. Mm-hmm. And again, that is, uh, that's beautiful. Like that's, um, you know, the, the only other, per- oh, obviously we want Moreno in there. Sorry. Right. So I was going to say the two guys who picked themselves over Ibarra and Mulraney are Moreno and Sosa. So, so, yeah. And then the then the question is yeah and I'm even okay with Mulraney from time to time being in there but yeah Jurgen Dom a Mulraney to bring the speed on Well on Mulraney side. and Jurgen Dom are ideal substitutes they're pacey yeah. they run at players on the wing you know they can bring something extra to the game we don't really have someone who we can bring in up top who mm-hmm. can really change the game but we can bring somebody up uh, up uh, out on the wing and that can allow you the you know in a pinch you know you bring in one of those guys and you push barco or araujo mm-hmm. up next to martinez and it becomes almost a two but right ideally in the middle there we got Jose to moreno and 
who uh, in Sosa, right? Sosa. Yeah. And I should say that it's a perfect moment to set to suggest that. Um, thank goodness, Pineda says that Sosa is available, a hundred percent healthy for the playoffs. He could have played in a pinch at Cincinnati. I don't mind him not playing that, knowing that he's got like 13 days before the playoffs. Let's get him really, really healthy and fit, and he's going to be 100% raring to go. And hopefully, I don't know how serious the foot injury is with Moreno, but you know, I watched him play in the previous game. I think it's a matter of just, again, resting him in the last game. To make yeah, sure. he's expected to be 100% ready to go as well. Awesome. So we will, for the first time in a while, have everybody. And, and you know, we haven't really had the chance to, to you know, analyze Pineda's choice because so many times he hasn't really had to make the choice. He hasn't had all four of BAM available. And so, um, but, you know, we can either talk about what happened in the, let's talk about what happened in the but, second half first before we you, say what what we would go with next. Now, you said you were also reading an article in Dirty South where they were mm-hmm. agreeing with this might be the moment Pineda realizes the four in the back is the way to go. Is that right? Right. right. I missed that article, but I have to read it. Yeah, so, you know, obviously expected goal-wise suddenly in the second half. We went from, I think, two or three shots in the first half, and we had like 12 or 14 in the second Mm -hmm. half. We went from .2 goals expected in the first half to something like 2.3 or something in the second half. I mean, it was just night and day. Pressure right out of the gates. Right. Um, And now you can actually, for the first time, you saw Barco and Araujo winning the ball coming back because they track back brilliantly, those guys. They are not one-dimensional waiting to go forward kind of players. And we've missed them, you know, being a nuisance because we don't have anybody in the middle. So they have no time to come back and be a second or double team or be a nuisance because, you know, they're just passing right around our one guy in the middle and off they go. So, yeah, we had, like, in the 53rd minute, um, I, I don't know who it was, whips a kind of low kind of cross into the box where Joseph Martinez cracks it, and it's it was going, I think, more towards the near post, and the keeper got his foot out to it and stopped it. Brilliant save. And I it, think and it was Ronald Hernandez. Solid contact. Yeah, I think it was Hernandez. I think you're right. Yeah, and Joseph really should have done better. Then, like, in the... It wasn't a bad out. It wasn't a bad hit. No, I, you know, maybe he shouldn't have been better. It was, it was a good save. In the 54th, somebody hit like a really deep over-the-top ball to Jake Mulraney. Mm-hmm. Who, I, I thought Jake actually did a really nice job of bringing it down on his chest and actually made a decent effort. Um, and it could have been a brilliant goal. But it just didn't happen. But again, good ball, good attempt. I'm not, yep. not going to give too much crap to Good me. running by Mulraney yeah, on that and, one. And it was actually, yeah, his first touch on the chest was great, if I recall, and... Uh, just wasn't able to finish it. Um, and then it was kind of mayhem in, in, right after that where, if I recall, like there was just some balls that ended up at Barco's foot, and he should have put it on frame. They ended up going into defenders and uh, mm-hmm. kind of two missed opportunities. And then right after that, like he dribbles – like he he does a lot and ends up like running into somebody, which everybody complains about. This is a classic Barco moment, though, like where it's hard to feel feel sorry for him. Yep. Like goes down the box a little too easy, and is just wait, you know, trying to oversell the fact that he's really got fouled because he gets fouled a ton all the time. But here in this situation, he really didn't get fouled that bad. I guarantee he could have got up and and. 
continue. He got playing. bumped, and it was way after he passed the ball away. So you're never going to get a penalty no, kick and on it's that. Like, and, never. And then not, not only. I mean, even if the guy had come and just slashed him horrible two footed yeah. challenge or whatever, he could have gotten sent off for a red card. But he never would have gotten a penalty kick yeah. because he wasn't on the ball. And so this is a part of his maturity that you worry about, right? And. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, so then, I mean, literally like 60 seconds had gone by and we had repossessed the ball all the way back on our side of the field, right. came in and actually had a really strong attacking chance yeah. and he's laying on the ground. And, and he, he had to stay down because he was embarrassed, right? No, he, he didn't. He could have. No, sh- I mean, but that's why the, he stayed down. Well, he should have gotten right back up, but he was embarrassed. It. That's why he stayed down because he knew right. that he had to make it seem like he was really hurt. Exactly. Otherwise, people would have been like, it was super soft. But no, everybody knew he was faking it. <laughs> well, we did, yes. Because he was embarrassed, which yeah. is even more embarrassing. I agree. So not, I mean, that's the entire It was an point. embarrassment. It was an embarrassment. So hope you're listening, Barco. He should have been embarrassed because we knew he was, we knew that he was doing it and we yeah. were embarrassed. So it was an embarrassment <laughs> if you follow that. So yeah, the pressure continues. I think there's a little bit of a lull, but finally we get our goal in the 70th minute. Well, before we get to that, I have a couple... Um, there's um, so one was Ronald Hernandez made an absolutely stunning run down the right side and he beat probably two guys. He gets all the way to the end line, right? And he crosses a beautiful cross a little bit back. Mm-hmm. It rolls right across the six yard box, right? And Joseph Martinez, you know, ostensibly went back post, right, waiting for the ball at the back post. He never made any attempt to dart in front and get in front of that. That is not Joseph Martinez of old, right? That's Joseph Martinez not yet back from ACL fully. Yeah, well, Lee and I have been, we were talking about that on a walk today this morning with the dog, that you just don't see Martinez making those bombing runs like he, he even even just to advance himself into the 18 even to have a chance not and and to your point once you're even there not making that aggressive well-timed all right this is my moment to you know 25 percent of the time it's going to be there but that's when the viper gets in there and gets his goal he's not doing that he's he's finding goals another way he had 12 goals in the regular season this year i think which is Two or three more than I thought he was going to get. I thought it was going to be. Yeah, we'd have to go the... back to that podcast on our predictions. Yeah, right? no, I think I, it was lower than that. Yeah, no, I, I was, I was. You can tweet at us if you remember our predictions podcast. It listeners. was more of the. It Dear was more of a, a poll than it was a prediction. I, no, but we talked about it and tried to make a prediction. I think on one of the podcasts. Yeah, I did. I didn't. I didn't think he was going to get more than ten. So that yeah. was my prediction: is that it was going to be lower than ten. Yeah, which I had put on a tweet. The majority of people thought he was going to get more. He, so the fans all thought he would get more than 10. Um, I would so. have said they were crazy that I, coming I back from ACL too. was too hard. I think he did better than expected. He looked like early on he was a shadow of himself. And then suddenly he popped back into being himself. And I feel like he got there a little bit too quick and and then, you know, stressed his knee a little bit and regressed a little bit. Right. I I can't agree more. Yeah, I think there's definitely... Uh, a little bit of head. I was surprised he got there so quickly. I was too, because there was like there was those two games that was like, oh, Joseph's back. Yeah, um, he was making runs. He was playing right. aggressive, and then yeah, he had the he had the boo boo again on the knee, and you're like, oh crap. But it's a bad sign when you see him not even make an attempt to run across. Right. Um. So you know. Um. But- the other thing I want to say before you get to the goal, um. There was an absolutely stunningly fabulous chipped 
through ball from Barco, who laid it onto a platter for Mulraney. Mm. He has a chance to shoot, but it's on his right foot, and he doesn't even shoot. He tries to cut it back. He could have just shot. He was like maybe a little outside the six yard box. I, I mean, that. are the, you kidding the, me? The commentators were talking about that. How do you? How can you be a professional player? Be, was, was it Mulraney or Bella though? No, it was Mulraney. Okay. It was Barco chipped it to Mulraney, and, you know, unfortunately it didn't fall on his left foot. It fell to his right foot. But how can you be a professional player at a maybe the penalty spot as far far out, that's it, and not even attempt to shoot with a wide, wide open shot yeah. because you're so afraid of not being able to hit it with your weak foot? I mean, um, you know, I'm a big believer in two-footed players. Um, I think – we have gone to this point where we think, oh, okay, it's okay for people to express themselves and be more of a one-sided player. I'm like, you can be a dominant player, but the number of times I now see professional players who miss opportunities to take advantage of a situation because they don't even have a, you know, a competent weak foot is just astonishing yeah. to me. I mean, I, I remember I didn't develop a left foot at all until probably halfway through my college season. Uh, and that was, I was born with a left foot, Mikey Dobbs. You were? Uh, I, was, <laughs> I, I was born with a right foot. <laughs> I was born with two feet, that's what I mean. Yeah. I'm a dominant right-sided player, but I happen yeah. to have been born with a left foot also. But yeah, I mean, I, I didn't even become a, a decent player until I was able to learn how to cross the ball with my left foot and be able to put a solid shot through my laces with my weak foot too. Yeah. When, once you have that, then... It's it's weird that sometimes you almost like prefer it when and that's when you know you've kind of had the breakthrough like when you're like okay I feel really good about hitting it with my weak foot because mm-hmm. um, sometimes it even though you're not as competent with that foot it you everything you just go to basics and yeah. you do the you simple get too cute with your strong you, foot. yeah there's yep. yeah you get too cute with your strong foot and mm-hmm. with your weak foot you just yeah again back to the basics right through the ball yep um, okay but I don't understand it because I could play you know. Um, you know, I could play 30, 40 yard ball, you know, anywhere I wanted to with both feet. And yeah. I was like, and the, you know, the, the, there's opportunities, you know, the ball falls to one side and the guy's making a through ball. And if you can't make it, you have to cut it back. You know, it's, yeah, you it's, have to be a two footed player. It's pathetic. Yeah. The number of times where the guys won't even attempt it. You're like, um, kids, if you're listening and you're one footed, the next year, all you should do is play with the other foot. Right. Seriously. Best advice ever. 70th minute, Miles gets his header. Score against Cincinnati. Robinson on the head again. Was that a corner? Is this a U.S. national team game or an Atlanta United game? <laughs> Was that a corner? I forgot. Corner. How okay. Yeah. yeah. And you know how many goals he scored this year? I think that's his only one. I'm yeah, right. first goal. Yeah. Because the commentators said, like, his first MLS goal and I was scratching my head. I was like, of course not. it's not his first MLS goal. I think the context was first MLS goal this season, which was correct. Which, right, uh, yeah. right, right, right. Okay, uh, now, interlude time. Now that the wine has opened up slight a bit, yes. and you've drank it for a little more, and you've maybe stopped thinking about it completely, now what do you think? It has, uh, honestly, I already thought. I'm fishing here, folks. I already thought about I already <laughs> thought about it. Um Hundred percent has opened up. Hundred percent has solidified itself in a good, good wine. 
So oh, awesome. You, you might be on the top spectrum of good, which I gave you no chance. Of being there. <laughs> I don't, don't, don't worry about yeah. it. I gave us no chance also. <laughs> so there you go. Okay. So yeah. miles Robinson, great goal, right? Opportune moment. He's, he's got a knack for that, right? Yeah. He's very good in the air. Um, attacking, you know, of all a list of all the attributes that are going to sell him in Europe, right? A guy can score a key goal too. I mean, yeah. if you can defend one on one, you can read the game, you can play in the air, you can play on the ground. You dominant one on one defender, and you can chip in a few goals now and then. Yeah, he's. I don't know if that's a hasta la vista. What do they call that in baseball? Hasta luego. A, a five five tool player. Five tool player. Yeah, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know if he had five, but we'll call it that. So. Then, uh, then yeah. What happens? Uh, what happens next? We uh, we get another goal, right? In the seventy eighth minute, only eight, <laughs> eight minutes later. Um, I'm wearing a shirt, Mikey Dobbs. I, yeah. don't, know if, I don't know if you can see. I'll, I'll tell the listeners. It says number seven, Martinez, on the back. Have you heard of him? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I, I was texting you today that I don't think I recall a goal quite as similar. And when I text you that, it's funny. The goal that I was thinking of. That was most similar was the YouTube clip that you sent back, which was Johan Yo- von Boston. Yeah, it was that von Boston, not Cruyff. Yeah, um, where somebody puts a real lo- lobby cross to the back post, and it, he almost has his back to the ball as it's um, coming to him, and he just curls his foot around it at a really sharp angle and puts it right in the side netting in the far post. That was in the '88 European Championships when yeah. Holland won it all, oh, the European yeah. Championships. Their one and only title of all time. Yeah. And he was one of the purest finishers there ever was, what? Marco Van Boston. And so yeah. for a player like um, um, Martinez to be, you know, put in the same equation is amazing. I would say there, there was a goal just a couple of weeks ago, um, Cristiano Ronaldo did a similar thing where it you, wasn't the same you, kind of cross. You brought volume. up, uh, you already, you already beat me. I was like going to say the other example, which <laughs> just happened recently, but that was more of like, it was over the defender's head. Right. Yeah. And yeah, uh, Ronaldo just hits his laces right through the ball low into the far post. Yeah. Beautiful finish. Just well-timed. The, the things that, that all three of those have in common is the extraordinary amount of concentration that it takes. Yeah. The, the unique thing, which is why I was texting with the Joseph Martinez one, is why I was like, I don't think I've ever seen a goal like that, was if you watch it, it's, it's um, I think Jurgen Dom plays a cross in. It gets yep. headed straight up in the air almost 40 feet. By the defender. By yep. the defender. Joseph Martinez has his chest facing the sidelines. So yep. he is literally not facing the goal at all. And that yep. that is why there's two parts of the goal that make it unique for me mm-hmm. is the ball was coming straight up and down from such a, a height and his back was literally turned to goal up until the very last second, which make it a little more unique the, than the Ronaldo and even the Van Bossen example. Van Bossen had to, he had to wrap his foot around it, but yep. Mar- Martinez did all of that from a ball coming basically straight down to him with his back to goal. Yeah. Stunning. And somehow knew right where the far post was. I mean, that is, it was special. I mean, goal from the gods. Yeah. He was just, that was, uh, <laughs> that's a guy who knows, you know, you need the goal in the 78th minute and he got it done. So good on him. Yeah. That, that, you know, puts him in the, the upper pantheon of, of goal scorers to score goals like that. Um, you just don't see it. Yeah. 
So that's what I meant by I don't think I've seen one quite like that. Is there another example like that that you've seen? I mean, I, nope. re- I really felt like it came from such a height and his back was to go. It was, it was brazen, the whole thing. Okay, so, yeah, the only other comment I'll say about that game is that when the Cincinnati made the sub pretty late and the guy was a little bit injured or whatever, the ref let the guy stop and talk three times to his teammates, and he was delaying so that they could get the guy warmed up to get on the sub, and the ref did nothing about it. I mean, I was like, how could you not card him? And, you know, the referee is running around that whole game so MLS-like, you know, that was one, two, three fouls. This drives me nuts, right? They're counting the fouls. It's one thing to say... Rant, rant, rant. It's one thing to say that... Um, okay, one player, I've had enough of you. You've gotten away with it. I could have given you a yellow card for this or that or whatever, and it's, you know, accumulative. That's what they're indicating. There is no such thing as a cumulative ticky-tacky foul. If you pick up your sixth, you know, unintentional ticky-tacky foul, like not that you're, like, intentionally trying to slow down plays or whatever, but you're going for balls or whatever, there's no bad harm or whatever, you just keep calling a foul. There's no such thing as a cumulative you know, number, unless it's you're on the edge and you've given the guy a break. I love the fact that you brought this topic up because he was, that ref was so annoying. Yeah, what the? Like, from, from his his little counts for both for both sides, is it one, two, three? And then, yeah, he would, like, run over dramatically to, like, go clarify something. Like Yeah, he ran over to the corner flag at one point we're to all, make sure the ball. <laughs> we're all adults here. Oh we're goodness. okay. We got it. And we when he it. counted off one, two, three, he was counting off number of Atlanta United fouls, like like as if that foul and this foul from two different players, he gave it to Ronald Hernandez. It was his first foul of the game, right? I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. You have no idea. Did you ever? And they were saying that, you know, the referee is so amazing because, you know, he made his MLS debut at 26 or something. I'm like, all it means is that he never played the game. Yeah, guys, <laughs> that guy was a joker. I mean, come on. And another, so I already gave Barco a hard time for his, uh, his antics, uh, which he's got to solve. Because he is, again, somebody who I think is so talented that is going to play at a, at, a, at a higher level after Atlanta United. Neither here nor there. But anyway, Araujo also kind of needs a little growing up, too. He, he, he fouls people in the game, and it's a foul. Yep. And then he acts for some reason like he, he <laughs> was... He, like he was wrong. He's like, come on. Like, what, what is that face? Yeah. You know the one I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, sure. like, what is that? Like, yeah. I, I, like you you ran over to him and you got there late and you push him in the back yeah. and then you act like you're constipated. I think he says that because he doesn't. You know, Araujo, you don't see him with bad tackles. When he gets those calls, it's no. sort of like pushing and stuff. Right, they're like bonehead. And he's things. and he's like, come on, that you know, if I'm gonna. If I'm going to get a real foul, there better be blood. <laughs> I think he's used to right. a different kind of... Right, there's a little bit but there's a little bit of arrogance. Sure, yep, I'm Araujo. I'm Araujo from... Yeah, My it, wife is Miss Brazil. Exactly. So that, <laughs> anyway, that rubs me the wrong way. Fair. Um, and that's all I got to say about that game. All right, so now Atlanta goes on the road to face New York City FC, playing in Yankee Stadium, by the way. Um, and so what's your prediction? Uh, what's the game again? Sorry. It's Atlanta United in the playoffs against New York city FC on the road at Yankee stadium. Uh, 
Uh, I mean, we have to win it. We we have better players. If we have, it sounds like we've got Sosa and Moreno back. It's if 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 again we play if we play the formation we talked about. I see. I'd say there's no way we don't get a win. The other thing is that little miniature pitch also <laughs> gives our team an advantage from the ticky tack soccer that our team is capable of playing in tight oh, spaces. Okay, which I think fits a lot of the skill set that we have with our. Um, with our with our soup group of stars, I mean they're totally comfortable playing little tiny passes uh, to get around people, and all day long we got Miles Franco, um, you know, standing people up. As long as the, the back line stands up well, I think we're good. I was going to say the opposite. I felt like we we really need free flowing, you know, soccer um, to make it happen. But let's take a half step back. So what does Pineda do? So the, the Dirty South article said that Pineda may have finally found the secret formula, which is clearly the four in the back, right, to um, in the midfield, and then the bam up top, yeah. right? Um, do you think, so assuming Sosa Moreno all available, do you think he plays five in the back or four in the back? <laughs> if I was in Vegas, I'm going five in the back. I mean, <laughs> yeah. there's, you know... Like, there's no way I would bet against everything he's been doing for whatever reason. He does not want to shift from that. He's that's what I was going to say. There is no chance. And you know, I'd love to be proven wrong. There is no chance. He goes into New York city FC on the road and plays more in the yeah. back. No, all of a sudden in the playoffs, he's going to change the formula nope. that the formula that in his head thinks it got them to this point. Now, but if it really we go didn't. down two nil at halftime, he may have to do it. So frustrating, mm-hmm. and um, I really hope that we're wrong on either account. Either we play five, or yeah. Five because or if you're, if you're, I mean, look, you know, Pineda might be thinking strictly about the win, and maybe he should be. But at the end of the day, the other thing you got to be thinking about is as a team, right? So if you're Pineda and you're the coach, and you saw what happened in Cincinnati, and you've seen the number of times you've switched to four in the back, and it's been so dramatic, right? You got to know that if you go up there and you play four in the back and it doesn't work, right? If at least it's free flowing and you go after him, then the fans are going to give you, you know, the benefit of the doubt, right? Because they're going to say, look, he went after it at least, right? Whereas if you go up there and you maybe play five at the back and it's tight and cagey and then you go and lose one nothing, they score cheap one somehow, you know, nobody steps up again out of the back three. They definitely going to score one and you lose one nothing on the road there and you say, oh, it was tight. We played well, you know? Yeah. And I mean, again, that really is a narrow field. I mean, it's a very narrow field. And so with four in the back and a really... um, talented midfield which we have with sosa Josetu, moreno yeah there is so much that we can do by moving it quickly and with really well time passes that i just feel like we've got all the talent there i mean can you make an argument that you prefer to go up there and lose three to two going after them than you do going up there and somehow managing to win, let's say you get 1-1 one, one, and tie, you force penalty kicks and win in penalty kicks. I'd so much rather <laughs> us play a- attacking with just, you know, shots flying everywhere. And then, you know, even I'd rather have like a 4-3 a loss in that game. So were you going to revisit your prediction then? I think, oh, what I'm, was your prediction? What was my prediction? I thought we were going to win. 
Yeah, you said we were going to win, and I, then and then you said that we're going to play five in the back, and you said how catastrophic it's going to be. I didn't say that's no, not consistent no, 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 with no, no, us no, no, winning, no. is it? I did not say it was catastrophic. No. I th- I think we will play five in the back and win and win like we like we we continually have winning games with five in the back if not on the road not on, well not on the road but I we, mean look at the number of times that we you know the few times under Pineda that we've come short right is they've all been on the road. They haven't even been in a playoff atmosphere, but where we've, yeah. you know, we lost at Montreal. Uh, we lost we, the couple of games that we really just didn't play well and lost with I, five I, in the back. I'll have to take a look. I don't know if we've ever lost with five in the back with Bam and Sosa. Well, we haven't had that ever, really. Maybe and once. That's what I'm saying. I don't know that we've ever lost with it. If no. we've had, we had it once, and and that's where again I think the talent will overcome. The, the the formation. That's awfully optimistic of you, Mikey. It Thomas. is optimistic, but I think I mean, we have so much talent. I think we play they, five. They, they will get it done despite the formation. I think we play five in the back. It's frustrating, and we don't get it done. Well, your predictions have been uh, obviously more accurate given uh, the, the, well, beginning, just the, the beginning. Last one. Just to rub it in, go ahead. Well, are, you, are we going to bring that up, that your two predictions at the beginning of this uh, with the Cincinnati? Yeah, but, oh, you know. Sure. I mean, the sample size is small, yeah. but, um, yeah, I, uh, um, I could see us losing even if we play four in the back, but I think if we play four in the back, um, we give ourselves a legit chance to come out and beat them. Right. Um, you know, maybe it's only, maybe it's even less than half the time, but we are playing on the road. It is in their band box that they're used to playing really well. And, um, that's a tough ask. Um, but we have a chance for the talent to shine through. We play five in the back. You know, I don't really think the talent is going to shine through and they're going to be frustrated and clogged the whole game. And I think we lose. I think we give up a goal relatively early. It could be in the first half. It could be a little bit into the second half. Then we chase the game, you know, and, uh, maybe they lay on a second, something like that. Um, but I just don't think we can win at New York City FC playing five in the back. I don't think we can do it. As frustrating as that is. Um, so we're going to reverse predictions. All right. You said we were not going to get it done at Cincinnati. I said we'd find a way. Too much talent to lose that game. Oh, definitely too much talent Sh- to should win the game. Now that being said, New York City FC is a pretty talented team. They're not a they're not a crap team by any means. No, but I just don't think they have the same. And again, it, like, here this is also a prediction that game. I th- I think we either lose big or win big. No, I think I think it's tight. We lose. One nothing or two nothing. Okay. Maybe even if it's two nothing, it's late in the game when we're pushing for the equalizer. But um, you know, keep in mind, Mikey Dobbs, that um, New York City FC has a goal differential of plus twenty. Our goal wow. differential is plus eight. Plus eight. Right. So they're twelve goals better than us. Do you remember the first half of the season? Then I know, but you know, you consider under. Heinz, uh, it was the first third of the season. It was 11 games. So you figure, you know, but over a third of that, you know, that means a third of the difference was due to that. So they're, they're plus 
12 on us, a third of that means that there's four goals that were in that period of time. So, you know, maybe they should only be plus eight on us, but that still means they're a good team. So predictions are in. Dave thinks our our playoff run is over after New York FC. Well, I will say that if for some ungodly reason um, we play four in the back which I would love to see. I would immediately at the start of that game revise my prediction, and I'd give us a real chance to, to upset them. Okay. So here's hoping four in the back. The fire is on now. It's a real fire, ladies it's and gentlemen. It's a real fire. It's finally cold enough in the ATL. Yes. Those of you podcasters who are listening from outside the ATL should know that it's finally sort of cold enough we might have the door wide open to make it a little colder, but yeah. <laughs> now if we don't end up winning, there is still a lot of hope on the horizon because hope springs eternal. That's right. We pretty much have locked down one of South America's biggest prospects, Diego Almada for a January uh, introduction to Atlanta United. He's a Velez player. He's 20 years old. He just got called up for his first Argentinian senior appearance. Full team, ladies and gentlemen. This so is- the guy's 20 years old, and he gets called up to the full side, not for a friendly, for a World Cup qualifier. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to play, but that if you get called up to the full Argentinian team for a World Cup qualifier at 20... I mean, seriously? And it turns out that uh, apparently he signed for Atlanta United over Man United. Yeah. <laughs> Man, Man, Man United was looking at him, you know, a year ago. I mean, a bunch of bunch of Spanish teams. But apparently they really wanted to make an offer, and they said that they would. Yeah. You know, maybe not the offer he wanted, apparently, but. Yeah, I mean, this kid is uh, – Legitimate. I mean, he's got a lot of high expectations. He's only 20, obviously. But it's a pretty big snafu that, uh, and, and you know, testament to the front office. We You know, we talked about how did this season get turned around in 2021. The front office continues uh, with, you know, this obviously the ink has to dry and we have to see it come 2022. But holy cow, um you should be excited if you're an Atlanta United fan, no matter what, for 2022 with, you know, a guy that came from Lille who left a Champions League team and Argentina, uh, Argentina or South America, one of the handful of top prospects, like legitimately. Well, the amazing thing about Araujo is he comes here at 26. That means it's not a stepping stone. That doesn't mean he won't go back to Europe, but... Um, doesn't suggest it's really a stepping stone. It suggests he might be coming here for good. Yeah. That's that's what's stunning. Obviously, um, Diego Almada is coming here as a stepping stone. Not only a stepping stone. I mean, I think he, you know, Almada doesn't want to be Atlanta United, does not want to be at Atlanta United. I mean, yep. there's no, 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 no mincing it. And really, uh, many people think he should have already been in Europe a year or two ago. That's how good this guy is. Yeah, but, you know, and that's not necessarily... Sometimes in certain sports, if you have a guy who just wants to show their talents, um, it can be disruptive to the team. But here, I think it's an advantage. You got a guy who's hungry to show that he can score goals and create goals, um, and that just works in your favor. Yeah. I I don't know. I'm a little, I'm a little worried. It hasn't... 
this formula hasn't worked when it's been on center stage of the media. It worked with Almiron, right? Yeah. Um, but no one knew who the hell Almiron was when 2017 started. Yep. So he was kind of under the radar, if you will. This guy is on center stage, as far as I'm concerned, in the MLS. He will be by far the best prospect MLS has ever, 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 ever saw. Ever had. He's supposed to be clearly a much stronger prospect even than Barco, yeah. who was at the time one of the great prospects. Who, who by the way, I think, and again, I will stand by this as much shit as I gave Barco earlier on. <laughs> I think we're going to see Barco and Almada playing on the senior roster for you know the next eight years with the Argentinian national team. Well, certainly not not in this coming World Cup. Mm-hmm. Maybe Almada, yeah. <laughs> but but Barco, I think we'll see in the U.S. and Canada and Mexico sure. for the 2026 World Cup playing. I'd enjoy playing that Argentina. Yeah. So how in the world, Mikey Dobbs? Can we afford him? Is it Tam and Gam? Well, I mean... <laughs> is it designated player? Who are our designated players? Can you tell us? I, so, how is it possible? So our our three designated players are Jose Martinez, Araujo, and uh, Barco. Now, I heard that there's only two designated players. Um, Who did you hear this from? Uh, I read an article. That there's only two that are designated players for Atlanta United based on the books? Yeah, currently. That one of them has been bought off, which I presume had to be Joseph Martinez. So that sounds possible. And this is <laughs> and this is the thing with with it, right? So you buy players down with this mysterical monopoly money called Tam and Gam, which we've talked about on <laughs> it. And so that basically has to bring their annual kind of combined salaries and, and fees d- below 1.6 million, I think is kind of roughly in that magic mark of how the spreadsheet says what Joseph Martinez is costing the team. And so that's per player. I think it's gotta be per player. I think it's, yeah, it's per player. Yes. Yeah, so per yeah. player. Yeah. Okay. So you can have three players at 1.6 million each. So if we had enough of this so-called monopoly money of Tam and Gam, Maybe we bought down Joseph Martinez. Um, but how, many, how much do you think we're paying them? Do you know? Joseph Martinez, we pay $3.8 million as a base salary a year. Okay. But he was under – we re-signed him to a five-year contract. So that's amateurized, a fancy word for how you put it in the spreadsheet. So they may backload that or they might – I don't know. I don't know. The last guy that started messing with the spreadsheet got fired because of – Breaking the rules. He got fired for doing it at another club, though. Yeah, another Even club. though he was here first. So it's risky business is all I'm saying. I he just didn't get caught here, Mikey Dobbs. So, of course. That's how we roll at the ATS. So we could buy down Joseph Martinez. I don't know if that's possible or not because nobody okay. nobody knows whether. We, it sounds like you're saying we might have already done that. That's what I heard. Where did you hear this? I mean, do you have a source? I mean, this is pretty big news, Dave, for our listeners. <laughs> um... Gee, Do you have look. an inside line? I mean, what's... I felt like it was one of the a, you know, AJC or Dirty... I can't remember. I was reading Doug's article the other yeah. day, and, and 
You know, the thing is, is nobody knows how much tame and game we got. Might have just made it up, but I don't think so. I like you making this up. This conspiracy <laughs> from ATL on fire. Uh-huh. Um, we have a slot open, people. We're it good. doesn't matter yeah. because nobody can possibly yeah. verify any of this anyway. Yeah. No, how, no, no. no way, no how. So the question is, uh, you know, and I asked this on our t- Twitter account, are we going to go to from BAM to BAM with, <laughs> with, with two A's? Whoa, or, I like it. Or are we going to... Uh, to Mama. <laughs> Which somebody else said we should go to Bomba or something like that. Oh, my is, goodness. Is it better, you know? With, with, no, 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 yeah, no, no. No, no, no. There's no chance. There is no chance, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, we, you know, there's, there's no always, chance. There's you're no saying chance there's we, a chance. <laughs> you don't think there's any chance we keep Barco on the line? So we either, no. I, I would think we either have to sell Barco yes. or sell Moreno. Those are the yes, two. Yes, but Barco is the one who's going for sure. Right. That's the one that you would think. Barco is gone. He wants to go to Europe. We've committed that we'll try to get him to Europe. Yep. He wants to be in Europe. Yep. The question is, he's also got his teammate, though, that he he's best friends with Almada, I think. Like, good yep, buddies with very him. good buddies. So, if there's any way he could sit around for another year, we win another MLS Cup, same way Almiron left with that glory, um, and maybe both of them get sold and move on, and we up the ante once there's again. There's no way. So... I don't think there's any way either, personally. I think we have to move on from Barco. But we also have these, um, what's it called, uh, the under-22 initiative, which you... So in addition to our Tam and Gam miracle, we have a youth, a fountain of youth, yeah. if you will. Fountain of youth, players that <laughs> are under the age of 22, yeah. which in the initiative we have Sosa, Ibarra, and Eric Lopez, I believe, right. as our... U22 initiative players, the max they can get paid is somewhere like, you know, like $612,000 a year. What a steal that is for Sosa. Right, that's a steal for Sosa, right? So we can't bring Almada in in uh, in a U22 initiative. He's going to he's going to want at least 2 million a year in base salary minimum, right? Unless they mess with the spreadsheet in this new contract <laughs> that they've agreed to. says the first year, you only get paid $612,000. We're going to get rid of Eric Lopez. We're going to we're gonna sell him or do something yeah, with him. Yeah, he's under $22,000. Yeah, we're going to move. With a guaranteed we're gonna know, move $8.5 bazillion dollars on the backside. Exactly. Okay. I cook, like it. Cook the books, and now all of a sudden we've got <laughs> bam. <laughs> <laughs> Just stay with me, Dave. There's hope. You know, just I'm just I'm just <laughs> obsessing about Sosa, right? You can make an argument that Sosa's the best player on our team. Uh, Who I, would you pick as the best player on our team, Mikey Dobbs? Honestly, Miles Robinson right now. Yeah, Robinson. Dude, the guys. Sure. Anytime a guy is so, and, and mm-hmm. plus the fact that Sosa's just been so injured, you have to give the nod to Miles right now. And who's better, Barco or Araujo? Barco. And yeah, because Barco is going to go to Europe and he's going to do big things. And all the haters out there, Araujo is a class player. Tune tune in on European Saturdays and Sundays. You're going to see a good team. Joseph Barco, Araujo, Moreno, Miles Robinson, Sosa are all legit. I was on the fence with Barco until I've seen him um, 
just dribble around people this season like I've never seen like before. Like their cones. Like their cones. He's <laughs> literally dribbling around people like cones. And that's going to, you know, the European side's going to have to. So when you're setting that. up the cones at your daughter's practice, mm-hmm. make sure they go both feet. I and do. And they will learn to dribble like Barco. I do a, I do a drill with the under six kids. It's, yeah. can you do this? I say, can you dribble with your left foot? And I, and I demonstrate, and they all follow dribbling with their left foot. Can you dribble with your right foot? Can you put your tummy on the ball? Can you put your head on the ball? So there's all sorts of fun stuff. I've been watching some YouTube stuff. <laughs> I like stuff. it. Yeah. I like it. Your, your advice really helped, which is never stay static with under six kids. Right. It's constant movement. No lines. No lines. Oh no Oh, my pausing. goodness. They cannot handle lines. Don't Just keep them. On. Be ready to go from one thing to the next. Keep them moving, and they'll have a blast. Yeah. Keep it moving. Um, Let the game teach itself. And then the other thing I learned on a YouTube video is like you huddle them up and you sit, basically get down on your knees at their level yes, and talk to sure. them. That does wonders to you. They actually focus and listen to you. So, yeah. um, not that I'm a good coach. We, we're not good. We're not good. Love My the team was playing against uh, LSA this past weekend and they're one of the best teams and, you know, they've been our nemesis and they beat us by a goal each time. We're playing him in the state cup. We're playing magnificently. We're up three nothing, Mikey Dobbs, with twelve minutes to go. Oh no. We conceded three goals oh, and no. tied three three. <laughs> I could tell that was coming. <laughs> oh my goodness. But sack back, the coach. Back to the optimism of <laughs> Tiago Almada though. I mean this this guy is yeah. uh, what's what's his uh what's his position at Velez? Attacking midfielder, like free Barco role. He's like a free Barco. So he's a yeah, you know, so it's similar to the Moreno type of role. Yeah, Pulisic. Um, yeah. Know. Uh, I've I've seen some YouTube videos. It's he's small of stature, though not nearly as small as Barco. Right, he's five seven. Yeah, he's a little thicker. Barco yeah. can't be more than like five four or something. He's yeah, tiny. he's tiny. He's really tiny. Yeah, at least uh, Almeida is like messy size. Yeah, and I, I mean he's got that level of hype right now. That's a lot of. It doesn't even have to be messy in the MLS. No, I mean, I mean, you just have to be. You have to be twenty in Argentinian, and everything's good. If you're Eden Hazard or you're Sancho or you're even Pulisic, um, you could dominate the MLS. Dave, I don't have a whole lot more to talk about. We're an hour and nine minutes into the podcast. Anything else you want to leave us with? Is there a chant? No, I don't. I don't think we want to share that. But unless, yeah. unless you think it's uh, the, the the Mamba Five, <laughs> we'll, but we'll wait for that. Yeah, we'll wait for that. We'll keep See, you waiting. If that happens in uh, in 2022, that could be a chant. If all five of them are there, we'll see. I love it. I love it. Well, this was a good one. I I think uh, we're happy we're in the playoffs. Dave and I are at odds on whether we're going to make it past the first gauntlet. Hopefully, folks, we will be back with optimism for a follow-up playoff game. Heck yeah. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. Dave, amazing wine that has me actually kind of blown away. Here's the vintage number two. Norton. Emerald Vineyards, right? Emerald Hill Winery. Emerald Hill Winery. (laughs) All right, everybody. Have a good night.